All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 22 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. And uh, time flies, Frank. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to the postseason. We're starting to see uh, remnants of uh, playoff hockey, which means anything goes, prison rules. And I know that it was funny, the, the GMs, Frank, were, uh, were talking at, about cross-checking. And then you, I don't know if you watched the Edmonton-Montreal game, and Shea Weber was just like, I don't, I don't know what he did more, breathe or cross-check. Yeah. And, uh, hey, he's a veteran guy. But is, is that good that they just allow things, or do you think they'll ever clamp down and actually call the rule book in the postseason? Well, I, I'd be surprised because, I mean, you mentioned prison rules. Like, that's kind of always been the standard in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? You get to the playoffs, and it's a different game. And I think that's what actually makes it as we have an NHL general manager on later in the show, I think it makes it hard to build a team because you've got on the one hand, a team that needs to get through typically an 82 game season and make it to the playoffs. And then you've got to have the same team be able to compete in the playoffs with a different rule book. And I think that makes it really difficult, but you know, I want to go back to the GM meeting that you mentioned. There was no real specific discussion on cross check. Uh, that was, you know, as far as I understand it, there there was a report that there was going to be a clampdown coming or a crackdown coming on cross-checking, and that's not what happened. No. Uh, they went through a number of different videos, and not just on cross-checking, but other things with Stephen Walkham, the director of officiating, and 
it was really just to show here's what the standard is. Here's how we like our officials to call it at this point, just making sure that we're all on the same page. And so um, it'd be nice, I think. And I, we've argued this uh, back when Tim Peel was suspended for the rest of the season to have it called as it is from, you know, the tr- from training camp all the way through game seven of the cup final. But we know that's not the case. And we know that that's not coming this season. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't expect him to change. Uh, I got a text from a GM when I uh, talked about him after that report. And he goes, uh, and I think his exact quote was, I I just got off the phone and they were talking about cross checks. He didn't say it was like an in-depth thing. And he goes, then I turn on the Montreal Edmonton game and it was a cross checking festival. So uh, he goes, we don't. And his other line, though, is what really caught my ear, which I think is true. And if more GMs think this way, then maybe change is coming. He said, we don't need to change the rules. We just have to call the rules that we currently have. Yeah, but we've been, that's like, we were talking about that forever when the Tim Peel suspension went down. Like, why can't the rule book be called consistently? And then, you know, you get to the next part of it. Well, each referee has a different standard. And like, I don't think it's that difficult to come to a conclusion where everyone's on the same page as to what level reaches a penalty and what doesn't with regards to cross-checking. I mean, Shea Weber's kind of made a career out of it. Just his the way he bullies guys in front of the net, harasses guys, punishes guys. Um, he's done it consistently and not just in front of the net, but all over the ice throughout his career. Like why at this point at the age of 35, soon to be 36, should we expect that to change based on the way his entire career is unfolded? Yeah, no, that's fair. You, you go back and you look at the 2005-06 season when they did clamp down on stuff and, and players had to adjust and it took them a long time. And then just as they were adjusting, they, they laxed on the, uh, on the standard. And maybe but they'll get back to that. That's what's so disappointing though is because they got through all the pain of that season yes. and then just let it go. Whereas if you just had kept going, if you're being penalized eight or 10 times a night, you're going to learn real fast or you're not going to be playing. Oh, dude. Trust me, I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you, and I hope that you know one day That's they figure it out. And really, as much as the GMs have to discuss, I think you're you almost need a collective, the McDavid's, the Matthews, you know, Patrick Kane's, Nathan McKinnon, go through the elite players would all have to almost stand up from the NHLPA and say, okay, enough's enough, because I still believe the NHL is the only league where they say our best players have to endure more than the average player because the best players have the puck more. So they're the ones who are enduring it. And it, you look at any other league they want, because the best players are what the fans go to see. Now there's the odd fan who loves the third and fourth liners. And those guys are important, but trust me, they're not the ones selling tickets. And it's only in the NHL. When I look at baseball, when I, you know, you look at, uh, well, contact sports, you look at football and you look at uh, basketball. If the star players are the ones that, uh, they get the calls because mm-hmm. they have the ball more because they have the football more. And I don't, I just don't see that in hockey. And, and I, I'm curious as I just think it's an old school mindset that just needs to change. Connor McDavid should win an extra award for all the abuse he takes. Not only that, but the way that he's able to handle himself and how cool he's able to remain most of the time going through all of that, not getting call after call, the extra shove, the extra push into the boards, the extra cross check, the extra whack on the hands that should be worth something at the end of the year. Like, I I don't know what we could give him, but there should be some kind of tally that, you know, with all the analytics that are being kept around the league, that'd be a pretty easy thing to track. Wouldn't it? (laughs) 
Uh, well, you could start a new column, Frank. Why don't you start? Why not? Like we've got 87. We might as well have 88 columns. Like what's yeah, the difference? It would, it would definitely be something. Well, the, the Montreal Edmonton game, as much as there were some cross checks, man, like there was nastiness and real physicality. Like I counted, they combined in two games for 154 hits. Between the and like teams. legit, we're not like, no. that's just not some guy in the press box hitting a button, nah. at, you know, at random or at will. Like th- that was, that's legit playoff hockey. And you know what I like from the Oilers there is their response. And I think Connor McDavid embodied that in the first game on Monday night, just his own physicality that he knew right away. And he actually mentioned it post game. Look, this is the way we know the Montreal Canadians want to play. Well, that's fine. We can play that way too. And he was one of the guys out there throwing the body. You know, I think Ryan Rashog made mention of it earlier in the week as well. That is hits. He's this year. It's double his normal average per game versus any other season, the number of hits and times that he's initiated contact. And I think it's a really small thing because it's Connor McDavid. And obviously no one's going to be scared if he is throwing his body around, but I think it's embodies, kind of more to how special his season has been in terms of dragging this team into the fight. Uh, He's done that consistently throughout his career, but he's willing to play any way possible to win. I don't think it's close, Jason, that this is his best season in the NHL. And that says a lot for what he's accomplished. Oh, without question. It also illustrates what he can do when he gets a proper season of training. Like he had 97 points last year in 60 some games where he basically didn't get to train. He rehabbed all summer. Mm -hmm. So he, you look at the elite players of the past, you enter year six, seven, eight, nine, like that's, and really would have been year four or five for some of them. But you look at McDavid in the next few years here for him. And I believe that I believe now because of the training and science available today's players, the elite stars, their elite years are going to be longer. So you look at where it used to kind of tail off in the early thirties for some of these guys, mm-hmm. I think you, you see it, LeBron James and other sports, they're going longer because they just know how to treat their body better. And they're so dedicated to their craft. It's, it's kind of going to be amazing to watch what he does over the next few years. You know, Matthews, when it comes to scoring goals, you know, can he be Ovechkin? We'll see. Now, speaking of Ovechkin. Wait, by the way, before, I want to just add a supporting point to that because I don't think that, there's been enough recognition for Sidney Crosby in the year that he's had. Still, he, he doesn't dip. He's still above a point per game, 54 points in 46 games as we're taping this. Like, he's a huge reason why the Penguins are where they are. And I think everyone was expecting at 33, you know, this is kind of the year that he start to drop off a little bit, turns 34 in August. He, he's been just as good, you know, this year as he has almost any other year. And, and no one's really talking about him. Yeah, it's fair that the Penguins have, they, they, they had a real slow start. Mm-hmm. And uh, since they made the, uh, the, the changes there, they've, they've really picked things up. And you look at now Washington, Pittsburgh, Boston's on fire and the Islanders, they're separated by four points and Boston is in fourth, but they have two games in hand on those teams. Like it's going to be an awesome two is, rounds of the playoffs. Oh, it's going to be crazy because there is no clear favorite there. They're all good. They all have, and I don't know if any of them have any weaknesses per se. They just all have a lot of different various strengths of how they win. And I don't, I, I was looking back through the standings. I don't think we've ever seen where the top four teams in the division finish that close. So home, I know there's no fan. There is fans in some of those buildings home ice advantage, Frank here in the next three weeks is massive in that division specifically. Is it though? Is this the one year that home ice advantage doesn't matter at all? 
I, I, it doesn't matter as much historically in the first round if you go back through the playoffs, but as you go deeper, it always does. But it does matter more so in game sevens a lot of the time. And I just, it's, it's mattered this year in terms of the standings. I mean, I'm just looking at it right here Washington, six regulation home losses, Pittsburgh, three, the Islanders, two, and Boston, six. Obviously, all of their road records are significantly worse, but uh, it's an interesting question this year that, you know, and I was thinking, you know, in the postseason last year, last change within the bubble, you know, how much does that affect things? Does the home team still win 52, 55, 57% of the time? It was like this year might be sort of that referendum finally on, on home ice advantage mattering. Yeah, well, the buildings that have fans, though, I think they all. I think all four of those have fans, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And you get two thousand fans now, Frank. Like I know, compared to twenty thousand. But I talked to some players, and when they had their first games with fans, they, they could couldn't believe right how much of a difference two thousand fans made. Yeah, and, and a lot of these places could actually see those numbers grow as the playoffs continue with the vaccination rate in the U.S. continuing to climb. It is now. You, you look at those teams and like the Boston Bruins, obviously their trades have really helped them. No question. The Verona Mantha trade has worked out. Verona got the, got the Joe Thornton last night with the uh, four goals for the Detroit Red Wings, not to mention they got a first and a second uh, as well coming in that trade. But, but Mantha's come in and being what Washington's wanted, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the size of Washington. If you had to pick of the four teams right now, do you give anyone in the East an advantage and why? Well, I picked the Caps to win the Stanley Cup this year, so I, I need I need to stick with that. I, I feel pretty confident with the way that team has played. Ovechkin has been ridiculous. I think it's 16 goals last time I checked in his last 21 games. I mean, it's insane. He, he hasn't slowed down at all, and, and you were about to mention him as another guy that can continue on with the way that these guys train. Uh, you know, the only team that gives me some pause is the Islanders because they play so well defensively and they're so in lockstep with everything that Barry Trotz wants to do. They don't have like, you're not going to catch them on an off night. You're not going to catch them sleeping. They're not going to be tired. They're always engaged. They work hard. um, And they're conscientious. Like there's very few mistakes that are made. So on a team that, didn't have any weaknesses. They get better at the trade deadline with Kyle Palmieri. Uh, they add Zajac, of course. You know, I just think they're in a they're a team. Obviously, they went to the Eastern Final last year. Like they could be the team that comes out of that that mix of four, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, and that's fair. It's funny because I have them ranked fourth out of the four right now, and, it, and it's it, you have to rank one to four. How much so of that? Not- how much of that Boston bump with the Hall addition and and Riley and those guys? did they climb after the trade deadline for you? Oh, a, a lot. Like you, plus Brad Marchand right now is playing out of his mind. I've watched the last few Boston games. He's been, he's been incredible for mm-hmm. them. And I just, they've got lots of depth. Now you've got Coyle and DeBrusque on your third line. To me, the big one is if they can get their blue line healthy. That's still the question because playoffs mm-hmm. and pressuring on your defense. My only concern with the Islanders, Frank, is I know that it's good defense, and, and the other teams are pretty good defensively. It's just their lack after Matt Barzell, their offensive production compared to the other guys, top three or four guys just isn't the same. So rank your one to four. Uh, right now I will go uh, Washington, Boston, Pittsburgh, New York. And again, okay. that's not, I, that gap is you have to rank the one to four. So don't get offended if your team isn't there because to me, the margin between two and three and three and four is, is very slim. 
Okay, so let's play that out for two minutes here. So you got Washington against the Islanders in round one. Who you got? I'll take Washington. Okay, and then that leaves you Pittsburgh and Boston in round one. I'll take Boston. So you got Boston and Washington. In the final. And who do you got? Oh, the cat. I'll probably still take uh, well that you know what? Geez, then I might even lean to Boston. That'd be a, I'll say seven games, but I'll still go with home ice. So I'll take Washington. Okay. Yeah, I, I like Washington to come out of there too, as I mentioned, but it like there that that's easily the most compelling playoff first two rounds, I think. Uh, it's but it's not really that close. Yeah, and talk to me in two weeks or when the playoffs start, because if there's a key injury to any one of those teams that could change the whole rankings and, and who you like in those playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, that'll be it. Uh, we well, do let's... have uh, Yarmo uh, Kikalane. And so we'll talk more about the, uh, the mm-hmm. Columbus blue jackets and that, and that division uh, with him coming up in, in our interview. So let's get to uh buy or sell with uh, producer Ty right now. Yes. Buy or sell is brought to you by jock market. Check them out. Jockmkt.com. Jock market is a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market, and if you would have gone on and listened to me when I said uh, buy up that Jacob Verana stock, whew, you'd be eating good coming into the weekend here. Uh, if you want to check it out, the promo code DFO20 gets you a $20 deposit bonus. Um, Come on, I'm you- always eating good. <laughs> Look at me. Uh, you guys took my first one. I was going to ask you if the Washington Capitals will win the East Division, so I'll pivot for the first question. I'll come up to Canada, and I will ask you, is it possible for Connor McDavid to get 100 points? Are you buying or selling on the idea of 97 getting to 100, Frank? Buying. Um, uh, you know, the math is right there on the table. You know, this is a guy that's had two five and two four point games this year. He's in a position where he's hungry, he's having the best year of his career. And, you know, if you historically look at Connor McDavid and his seasons, the spurt an explosion that he's had at the end of every season has been incredible. So he's hit the playoffs on the right note. Every time I think he gets there. He did have 25 points in 12 games earlier this year. He had 23 in 12 games another year. Now he needs 23 in his final 11 and five of those games come against the Vancouver Canucks team who, when the Oilers face them in the second week of May, they're going to be just near the, the end of their, their dead, I believe run where they've got to play so many games. I just think Vancouver is going to be a fatigue team. McDavid, uh, he, he feasts on them when they're completely healthy. You take down a worn down team four games in a row, I should mention, by the way. So I think he'll be big that week. Plus he always produces against Calgary historically in his career. So the, the, the two games against Winnipeg next week, if he finds a way to, you know, get a point and a half in each one of those games, I think he sets himself up very well. So at the start of the year, I said he could get a hundred and people said, what are you talking about? No one does that. Uh, but- that's, that's not what happened. I said he could get to a hundred and you said 110. Easy. Well, Don't rewind the pod. That's max. what you said. 110. No, I, but I wrote the original article because we talked on day one and, and you and I talked like after like 10 games when he was on fire, but I wrote things that would happen this year is hundred points because I looked at it and McDavid's healthy this year. Like, Leon Drysaddle, who's a really good player, had 90 points in the, in the first 56 games last year. And, you know, him and McDavid and their power play, you know, he's going to get points there. And, and that's the funny thing. Like the, the orders power play is still really good. They just don't get as many power play chances as they did last year. If they all of a sudden get some power play chances down the stretch, Frank, then they could be, uh, then he could get what we call the gravy points. 
I know the it's the sample size is small, but a hundred points would be thirty more than any other player has ever had in a shortened season. Lindros and Yager had seventy in ninety four, ninety five. Those that was forty eight games as opposed to fifty six, but still thirty more points would be insane. Well, no, didn't the NHL put out that in the forties when they had fifty six game season, somebody had eighty two points. I got to look ah. that up. I thought some old school name I never heard of. Uh, Does that even count? Yeah. Well, it's a short season. Uh, <laughs> Technically, it has to. Different game. Totally different game. Uh, number two, there's a bit of a goaltending problem brewing up in Toronto right now. I'm going to say Freddie Anderson will be the savior, and he will start game one of the playoffs for Toronto. Jason, are you buying or selling that? Oh, yeah, I'm buying because I think uh, they need that to happen. Uh, you know, Jack Campbell's being a great story. Being a playoff guy is different than being a regular season guy. And uh, um, right now, uh, geez, uh, I, people in Calgary and Toronto might be uh, going back to Montreal days and thinking red like Riddich instead of big save Dave. So uh, mm. I, I definitely think they need Anderson. I'm selling. Um, something's off there. There's something going on, and I wish I could put my finger on it. Freddie Anderson quite clearly has a groin injury. I don't think there's any question about that. But the big question is the timeline. And obviously, he could come in five days from now and say that he's ready to go and surprise everyone at which point the Leafs would have a significant problem on their hands. Cause they don't even have the ability at this point with LTIR to activate him at the moment. They'd have to probably make a late season trade in order to make that happen or get really creative in some other fashion that we don't know about. But I think the Leafs at this point are thinking Freddie Anderson is back for round two, if at all. Okay. So that's the understanding I have at the moment, but nothing's confirmed because no one really knows exactly how Freddie Anderson's feeling. I think everyone was kind of thrown through a loop this week when he gets, you know, obviously he's dealing with this groin injury and then you see him a photo of him surface in Vancouver on rollerblades. And you're like, how does a guy that has a groin injury go out for a little mid afternoon skate? Um, so I, I think a lot of people are curious about what's going on there. And I think for a guy that really wants to re-sign in Toronto, I, I don't know that he's helping his case with how this injury has unfolded. Number three, Kirill the Thrill, Kaprizov. I'm going to say he will be a near unanimous winner of the Calder Trophy at the end of the year. Frank, you buying or selling on Kaprizov running away with the Calder? I'm selling. Jason Robertson, you heard of him in Dallas? He's the guy that's come on of late that has made it a debate. And he's a guy that, you know, has been right up there with McDavid in terms of even strength production wow. over the last number of weeks. So uh, I think he's, it's become a race uh, in the last few weeks here. Yeah. I'm, I'm selling too. I think it's going to be a close race. Uh, Kaposov is probably the, the favorite right now, but you know, it might be like a 55 45 and, and a lot of times how you finish really impacts the voting. Speaking of maybe underrated, you brought up Jason Robertson, Frank. I'm going to ask you for your most underrated defenseman in the NHL because I was looking at the uh, scoring leaders there. Adam Fox has 42 points. He's tied with John Carlson and Victor Hedman. And there's a bit of talk about Adam Fox, but he still isn't being, you know, is he an elite defenseman? That feels like it doesn't get brought up enough. So I'm going to say Adam Fox is still the most underrated defenseman in the NHL. Jason, are you buying or selling? Oh, geez. It's a tough question. Um, the most underrated. Well, I'm going to sell only because I think there's there's lots of uh, D men around the league that that uh, you know when you're a young defenseman, I find defense kind of like a two way centers. 
you got to do it for year after year after year before you start to get the, uh, the recognition, uh, you know, unless you're like a top pick, they'll be looking at guys and expecting them to be there. But Adam Fox has had an unreal season. He'll be in the Norris trophy uh, conversation, I think for sure. So I can't say he's underrated when I think he's going to finish probably, I think Adam Fox is going to finish top three. So I'll say uh, there's other guys more underrated than him. Yeah, I'm going to sell. Get your head out of the North Division and start paying attention to the rest of the NHL. Adam Fox is tied for the league lead in scoring among defensemen. Victor Hedman is going to win the Norris because he's been as good this season as he was uh, in the playoffs when he won the Conn Smythe. But Fox has been so good for so long. And if you watch the New York Rangers, he is one of the most exciting players in the league to watch. So if you're sleeping on Adam Fox, that's your fault, not anyone else. He's also playing in one of the largest markets. Where have you guys been? Oh, dude, I just said he's not that guy. Plus, no, no, I, I'm hey, just look I'm, at, It's more Tyler. Yeah, uh, look, look at his minutes against elite players, though, compared to Hedman. That's the one thing. Like, you go to puckiq.com and you see who they play against. Now, Tampa has a, a deeper defense core. But Fox is playing close to like 48% against elite and Edmonds at like 23. Like that's a, that's something that you have to consider. And cause it's supposed to be not who's the best guy every year. I mean, mm -hmm. overall, who's the best player that year? Fox. There's lots of reasons. There's a that case to be made. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my apologies to the Fox family. Obviously. Um, hopefully Frank <laughs> doesn't shit on me for my fifth one. Uh, Rupe hints. He is sandwiched right in between Sidney Crosby and Alexander Barkov for points per game this season. He's starting to get some talk for how good of a year he's having. So I'll say Rupe Hints is the most underrated forward in the NHL. Frank, are you buying, selling, or shitting on me? <laughs> Not shitting. I could <laughs> buy that. Um, I think the way that he's played this year, coupled with the fact that he's been knocking on the injury list door or the trainer's door every single day, it seems, and what he's been going through to put himself on the ice and help keep this Stars team, along with Robertson, uh, and along with Jake Ottinger in the race has been really special. And he's one of those guys in the playoffs that you've been watching over the last couple of years saying, man, love the way this guy plays. He's an important part of what they do. He's an engine player. And I think he's shown that this year. I'll say this, you know, what's underrated about him is his first name. What a sick handle. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Rupe like that. Come on, Dallas. They got, that should be, you could have such great fun with that name. And I, I would expect the stars next year. You come up with fans love that sort of stuff. You should oh, yeah. have a shirt. You should have different things because Rupe is a great first name and he's having an unreal season in Dallas and probably because they had to play so many games catch up. He was always behind in games played. And, and now all of a sudden that they're finally catching up, I think people are seeing his point totals, but he has had uh, a, an underappreciated season for sure. There you go. That is buy or sell brought to you by jock market trade shares of players in real time with other users. If you want to check it out, it's jockmkt.com. promo code DFO 20 gets you a $20 deposit bonus. Awesome. Hey, let's get to our uh, big guest. Very excited to have the GM of the Columbus blue jackets. Yarmo Kekalainen joining us. You know him as the first and only European-born general manager in the NHL, but he's also an accomplished player and student of the game at just about every level. This undrafted Finn played two years at Clarkson University, made it to the NHL with the Boston Bruins and Ottawa Senators. He played, scouted, and managed in North America and Europe and was the assistant GM of the St. Louis Blues for a long time before getting hired in 2013 by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Welcome to the DFO Rundown, Yarmo Kekalainen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
So let's start here. Uh, Elvis Mers Lincoln's after Thursday night's game was pretty pointed with a heartfelt message of just how painful uh, this season has been. He's tired of the losing and he said he wants to finish this year and delete it and not think about it. Fair to say, Yarmo, that's kind of how a lot of people feel in Columbus right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's that feeling is shared by the, uh, coaches, management, uh, players and the fans. And, and we've done a lot of winning, especially in the regular seasons in the years past and, and created a winning culture. And, and we had to make some hard decisions at the deadline here. And nobody thought it would be easy after that, but it's been even maybe harder than we thought. And, and the whole year has been a grind for, for many different reasons, uh, for the inconsistent play and, and COVID and all those different things that we've had to deal with. And, and when you're out of the playoffs and, and you're basically just battling to get through and, and, and finish the season with, with your head held as high as you can. And, and uh, you know, the pride still has to be there to compete for, for the win every game, but uh, it's hard. It's been a hard, hard grind through this year. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned building the winning culture and you've had one of the most consistent teams in the NHL over the last number of seasons, something like this year, um, as odd and strange as it's been for not just your team, but a lot of teams, there's a lot of factors that go into why you guys are where you are, but can you, can you put your finger on maybe why you think this season started to unravel for your team? I, I don't think it's one thing or, or two things. I, I think that the, uh, you know, there, there's so many different things that go into that equation. It would take the whole day to, to kind of analyze. And that's what we're doing every day to tr- try to put the finger on it. What, what do we need to change? I, I think at the end of the day, this is also a good experience of, of everybody kind of knowing what this feeling is, is like and never want to experience that again. As you said, we've done a lot of winning and, and, and that feels great and everybody's in a good mood. Well, now we've done a lot of losing and it, it sucks. So you definitely don't want to go through something like this again. And, and uh, we'll take that lesson into next year and prepare accordingly and, and come back strong. Yarmo, you've you've got a really good track record of, of being a great evaluator at the amateur scout. You know, when you ran it in St. Louis, you look at the core that you built there through through drafting and and then even at pro scouting. When you're evaluating your team this year, is it different because of the circumstances? Do you, do you take that into it, or do you do you evaluate on ice what you see from your group and the guys you want back, similar to another year? I think you have to take into consideration the circumstances and, and, and the environment and everything that we've gone through this year and not over-evaluate players that you're very familiar with. You think you know them inside and out. Everybody deals with this, this situation a little bit differently. But I, I've definitely warned myself and our staff not to over, over-evaluate the, the players this year because they might be going through some some tough times and and you know, everybody's different. We're all humans. And, and this is, this has taken a toll on a lot of different people for different reasons. And, and, um, you know, I've, we're here in Tampa and we, uh, we've seen some of the NBA guys that have lived here the whole year. And some of those conversations, man, they, they, they're, they're going through a grind. Uh, the Raptors staying in this hotel for the, for the whole season. And, and, and just, just to hear him talk about it was kind of like, wow. It, it, it is it is definitely a grind for 
for the basketball players and the hockey players. Oh, I can't imagine just the emotional grind. There's the lots of isolation at times in your hotel rooms. Have you guys, have you had to adjust? Have you had to try to add anything to do as, as groups that are allowed within the rules, just so the players can feel that camaraderie because camaraderie is such a major part of a successful team. Yeah, it's huge. And and the road trips are a big part of it. The guys can go out and have dinner together and have a little bit of fun. Well, now we don't have any of it. We, uh, we sit in the meal room, you know, in huge tables with three guys around the table and, and you know, the furthest guys like, 50 yards from you at the uh, other end of the ballroom and, and you know you're not allowed to sit in the same table but but even to just to take it home I mean you know it's 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 difficult I have two daughters that I really haven't had dinner in the same table with since we started because they go to school and and we're not really supposed to interact with anybody outside the uh, our circle and and I got to take it very seriously. I think the only way the outbreaks happen is if you break the protocol outside. And as, as well as we take care of the protocol inside, I think the, the outside factor is a lot more important. And I'm not a doctor scientist, so don't take this the wrong way. But, but, but if you bring it in, so then I, I think no matter what we do with the, with the locker room rules and all that, it's, it's going to be hard to, to prevent it from spreading because the guys are right next to each other on the bench and all that. But, but uh, you know, the league's done a great job with all the regulations and keeping it as safe as possible and, and um, to keep this going and to be able to finish the season. But, but it has been the longest three months of many people's lives in the, in, in the bubble that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really tough. Now, we were talking about the consistency of your team, Yarmo, and a big part of getting your team to be where it is and the culture that you've had has been John Tortorella. And there's been so much talk about this season and the way that it's unfolded. How do you evaluate? And you look, you've been in lockstep with, with John Tortorella at every point seemingly throughout the process. How do you evaluate the season that he's had? Well, I'm sure he, he would be the first one to tell you too, that it's been a grind and he's, he's, the winningest coach, U.S. born coach for a reason, and and it's been hard on him too. We talk about it every day. It's 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 been a uh, totally different experience than what we've had and what we've tried to build here in the last few years, and and um, you know, we can't can't wait to get through it and, and turn a new page. That's for sure. I just met with him this morning again, like we we do on a lot of different mornings, and and talk about things and the the culture and individuals and what we need to do and and he's very passionate about it and, and he's a great coach so I'm sure it hurts uh, as much as you know on his 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 mind uh, as it does on any everybody's here um, going through this right now when you do turn that page is that the first step what's priority number one for you to to figure out moving forward is it the coaching is it is it different pieces of your roster what is it well, I think it's all of the above. I, I think that, you know, as, as we move along and get through this season, we'll have to make decisions and, and uh, you know, some are going to be hard ones and, and um, you know, player, player decisions. That, that's what we do every day here and evaluate every day who fits and who's, who's part of the, who's buying into the culture that we want to have and who's not and, and, and what changes we may have to make. That's, that's what we do 24-7, so. Uh, that's never going to change. 
Yarmo, you're the only European GM in the National Hockey League. And, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, you went through the ranks, you paid your dues. But, you know, the, the league's going to expand now to 32 teams. And, you know, the, the European influence, you know, back in the 80s, it was it was kind of a new thing, but it, it's not anymore. Uh, are you surprised there hasn't been more uh, European uh, guys getting the opportunity to be general managers? Well, I think that... The biggest thing is that you you have to go through the right steps. I don't think a European general manager is going to get hired just because he did a great job in the European leagues, unless you know what what the NHL world's all about and uh, what the business is like. Because it's totally different here than it is in in Finland or Sweden or any any of the very good franchises that that very capable people run in in Europe. I mean, I, I was a general manager of two different teams in Helsinki. And it's a, it's a minuscule scale of, of managing a team compared to uh, NHL. And you don't really get to know that part unless you come here and, and kind of go through the, uh, the development, just like as a player. Sometimes you're going to have to uh, be a really good player in Europe and go to the minors and learn how to play in the North American rinks and then, uh, then make it to the NHL. I think it's the same on the management side. You know, I, I scouted uh, 15 years on the amateur side and, and uh, managed amateur scouting staff for, for, I don't know, 11 years and, and um, you know, paid my dues and, and learned the business and learned from great leaders that I have got to work with, great general managers that I, I was fortunate to work with. And I think that's really the only way to, uh, to get the job. So I encourage people that have that, that, that as a goal to, to go through that. you got to go to the minors and grind it out before you're going to become an NHL player. When you came here originally, was your goal to be a GM because you'd been one in Helsinki? Like, did you have this, this long-term plan that you were going to build your way through the ranks or did you just come over here hoping to get just an opportunity and scout? No, I, I did have that goal. When I, I was a manager of IFK Helsinki, and I loved every second of it. It was some of the best time of my life, and 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 it's it's a very proud franchise, and, and we won the championship. And the city of Helsinki is is a um, as passionate about hockey as as any of the most passionate hockey cities here in North America, both in Canada and U.S. So I loved every second of it. But when Ottawa offered me a job as a director of uh, player personnel, I kind of saw that, okay, well, there's a, there's a next step in my career. It's a great challenge. And uh, I, I took it. And I got to work with Marshall, John, Marshall Johnston, who was a great mentor to me in, in the business to, to see, you know, all, all the ins and outs of, of hockey and his experience in it. And, and, and you know, when I, when I, took the job and, and started working more closely with the NHL management. Then I was like, well, why not, why not have that as a goal? And, and um, you know, I loved the manage, managing part of it when I was in Finland. So yes, I wanted to get back, back to it. And as a matter of fact, when I left from St. Louis in 2010, I missed that part of the job so much. I was on the road managing the scouting staff and running the draft. Uh, it, was, it was a great job to have for many years. But I missed being with the team and, and in the action and the wins and losses and and the emotion that gets into you know watching your team to play and and kind of you know so I, I always say it's the next best thing you can't play anymore so so it's the next best thing you know coaching is probably even closer and I always thought about being a coach after I finished playing but but I started in the uh, the wrong end of the business so I never got to that but. 
but I, I enjoy every second of managing a team. Even uh, you know, I I don't enjoy it as much going through grind like we are right now. But but most mostly, you know, even when you go through the uh, emotional scale from wins and 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 the bitter losses, it's just something that I think is so unique about this job. When you finally got in the chair, Yarmo, was there one thing that was a real eye-opener to you in terms of, you know, different experiences that you've had managing, you know, as you mentioned in Europe? Did, was there one th- part of the job that you said, man, th- I wasn't expecting this? Um, I guess the biggest thing is always that when you're outside and, and, and you think you have all the answers and you know, you're supporting the general manager and you have all these ideas and, and, uh, like I said, you think you have all the answers, but then when you do have to have the final answer and, and make that decision, you have to listen to the people and respect their opinion, but then you have to have to make that decision at the end of the day, you, you know, you have to, you have to do it. You have to take the responsibility for it. You uh, it, it's, it's a little bit different than then than when you thought you had all the answers. And uh, I think that's probably the biggest, biggest lesson that I've learned. And, and I, I was probably one of those guys as an assistant GM and director of player personnel that thought that I had all the answers and I had all these great ideas and wasn't afraid to present them. And, and uh, in, in, uh, in hindsight, maybe should have kept my mouth shut a little bit more and, <laughs> and listen more. So I think that's one thing that I've taken to this job. Now I try to listen a lot, make sure that I, I, I get to everybody's opinion and, then for mine, and if I have to make the, the final decision, I will. But but uh, I got a little little bit more respect to uh, the people that I work for and, and and everything they did and how they went about it than than uh, you know before when I thought that I had all those answers. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things to me from your management style, at least on paper, is the way that you've been so disciplined in how you've managed your salary cap. And I'm curious, you know, it's not lost on me that, you know, no one on your team makes more than 5.9 million. Um, and even in Patrick Line coming in, Winnipeg retains some salary so that he fits in that sort of same scheme. Do you, how, how much a part of that has contributed to your success, especially now in a, in a flat cap world? And do you envision breaking from that? Can you break from that as you move forward now? Do you have to break from that with some of the guys that you need to resign? Yeah, I think it's in- inevitable, but but uh, I'd be happy to do that with, with a guy like Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, for example. They're they're a huge part of our team and will be ho- hopefully moving into the into the future because I, I think they're great professionals. Both of them, they're good, really really good players, but also great professionals and and teammates and leaders. So you know, it's, it's, it's the inevitable progression, but I think that you have to be disciplined in order to, to be able to follow that progression with the players that you feel that are, are the core of your team. And then you, then you need to have that room to be able to fit them in. Yarmo, you know, finding that balance this off season, now that you know, it's a flat cap projected for the next few years, how different we saw it last year in free agency. I know there, there was very few UFAs to, to get uh, more than four years. There were a few RFAs, but not many UFAs. Do you, do you think we're going to see the term uh, continue that way for a lot of guys that, you know, Seth Jones might be an exception, but outside of like the elite guys, are we going to see a, a dip in term across the board for free agents and even RFAs? 
Yeah, I, I I think we saw already in the last off season. It's a little bit of a different world right now. There, there's uh, you know one big contract, and it drops quite a bit after that. And and you know the term wasn't there for for, for Taylor Hall's contract, and and then it drops quite a quite a bit after that. And again, not a lot of term. So really, it's going to bring uncertainty, and, and where we're the business is going where the salary cap's going. And, and when you're locked in with, with contracts, a lot of term, they're often a lot harder to move if you need to. Um, and um, so I, I think it'll definitely be a big factor uh, and it, it'll be a different market moving, moving forward. You just had the recent GM meetings and we know that there is video shown about, you know, what they're going to call and what they're not. And you've seen your team in the regular season. You've seen your team in the postseason, and the games are more intense. They're the easiest one to look at as the hits and they almost double in a game in the playoffs. But there seems to be more that quote, you have to fight through Yarmo is, is that a little bit of an archaic way of thinking in the NHL? Does, does the NHL need to just, so here's the rule book. We're going to enforce the same rule book in the playoffs to the regular season. So then you can build your team knowing that you can, if the, those rules are in place, this team can be successful. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in that, that, you know, when it's a penalty, just call, call it, whether it's last five minutes or whether it's, it's a five, one game or, or three, two game. And, and I really don't care about the balance of the penalties. A lot, a lot of people talk about like, okay, well, the game was, called well because both teams have two power plays. If it's 10 to one for the other team and we deserved every one of those, then so be it. And if it's, if it's the other way, then that's the way it should be. And, and, and that's how I feel that it should be called. And, you know, I, I think it comes to a thing where sometimes if you referees feel that they don't want to decide the outcome of the game, but, you know, they, they're, we, we have good professionals. They're doing their job. And, and um, you know, as a league, I think that's, that's the um, mindset that we have to have, that it's, it should be called, should be called the same at any time of the game or any time of the season. And uh, then we have capable referees that can execute that plan. My understanding was, Yarmo, that you presented uh, an idea on the call about the puck over glass penalty. Were you disappointed to not see that get a little bit more support for a change? Yeah, you cut cut out a little bit. I don't know if it was in my end or yours, but were you talking about the puck over the glass thing? Yes. Yeah, I just, I, I, I just felt there was a little tweak only. I, I, for me, the rule went into place in order to prevent the defensive team of using that as a tactic of, of, you know, being, being tired and you throw the puck over the glass, you get a breather. That's why we put the rule in place in the first, in the first place. And now like this year, I've seen a couple of penalties where, where a player tries to make a defensive play and, and, you know, it's, it's breaking up a two on one knocks the puck out of the air um, defending and it goes over the glass and it's a penalty. I mean, that's that's something that I wouldn't want to see decide a game because the guy made the right play and was defending and has no chance of controlling the puck and it goes over the glass and it's a penalty that could decide the outcome of the game. So that, it was just a little tweak that if you had the puck in control and you shoot it over the glass, it's still a penalty. But if, if, if it's a defensive play and it goes off your stick and over the glass, it's not. 
And, and a deflection is still not a penalty. So that's sort of would have just sort of followed on that path where if you knock it out of the air and, and you're, you're not controlling the puck, it shouldn't be a penalty, in my opinion. Didn't get much support. Well, that tweak makes sense to me, but is there is there any other sort of rule change that you'd like to see take place? If you were commissioner for a day, what would you do? Well, I think the game's in, in good place. Uh, most mostly in my opinion so doesn't doesn't need a lot of tweaks that's why my my suggestion was just a little little tweak but you know i i think that's that that's a conversation that we could we could go on forever but but i overall i think the game is in great shape and, and it's entertaining it's fast and and uh, you know i i love watching the nhl athletes i think they're the greatest ath- athletes in the world and uh i'm sure every sport says the same thing until they get on skates and and try to do what those guys do every day. And, and uh, at the same time, it's so physical and, and uh, it's just, it's just a great game. Now, do, do you need to be more of a politician? And so you, you garner support before you present that next time. Do you need to, oh, yeah, know, it's hard I to know. do. <laughs> it was such, such a small tweak that I didn't want to call the other uh, general manager and say, what do you think? Usually if I have had any, any of those, uh, suggestions i call around and see if, if there's any support for it before i even put it on the agenda but uh, you know i felt like it was such a small small change that may, maybe it would get some support but, but no no luck now yarma going back to, to growing up in finland and of course uh, you turned out to be a professional hockey player in the best league in the world a really good athlete what what other sports were you playing when you were a kid what was what helped you become a better hockey player other than just hockey I played soccer growing up and I played tennis growing up. Those were the biggest, biggest two things for me. But those days we didn't have many video games. So anything we could get our hands on to, to play and compete was, was the, the video games at that time. And, and we were out playing street hockey and, and ball hockey and soccer and, and all these different things every, every day, all day, basically until the, uh, until the lights were out. Now, how serious of a tennis player were you? Uh, it was pretty serious. I played in tournaments until I was about eighteen, and oh. and, uh, and but I wasn't wasn't great at it by any means. But I, you know, locally in my district, I, I was I, I was okay. Not not nationally or or internationally or anything like that. But I love tennis to this day, so it's, it's a great sport. Go ahead, Jay. That's the perfect way to launch into rapid fire. Okay. So here we go, Yarmo. We're going to get into a rapid fire. It's just a, some lighthearted questions. The only rule we have is you have to answer them honestly. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's stick with that. Who's your favorite tennis player of all time? I'd have to say Roger Federer. Yeah, that's a pretty good choice. Um, after Yarmo Kekalainen uh, pulls off two uh, first round draft pick uh, acquisitions, what does he uh, celebrate with? What is your drink of choice after the trade deadline? <laughs> oh, a good glass of red wine. And uh, any specific time? Are you like a, Mer- a Merlot? What do you like? No, I'm a Cabernet guy. I love California caps. So that, that would be my choice. Okay. Um, I think you and Brad Trelevin were roommates in PEI for a short time. How clean of a roommate is Brad Trelevin? Oh, that, that goes back a long time, but I, I think he's, he's okay. I, if I remember, he's, he's pretty good. And we've stayed friends for ever since. So 
you know, I would say that if he was a messy guy, we probably wouldn't be as good of friends as, as we are. Okay. Um, what type of, if I'm going to Finland for the very first time, what's the one food delicacy I have to try? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I don't think that Finland is, is so well known for one thing or one, one cuisine. I, I think if you go to Helsinki, you got to stay with the uh, s- seafood, I would say, It'd be nice and fresh. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different delicacies, so I, I can't really name one, but uh, uh, one thing I know is that, that there are some great restaurants in Helsinki. So if you're, if you're eating and you only get one meal, what are you eating? What's your, what's your favorite Finnish delicacy? Well, Finnish, there, there's so many things from my hometown that I like. There's this, this meat pie that they make in a, in a small bakery there that our family's owned for, for 90 years now. And, uh, and that's just something that I can never pass on. And, and it's not the most healthy thing for you, but but every time I go uh, to my uh, summer place in Finland, my, my parents will have them ready and warm. And, and I put a little bit of mustard and, and um, hot dog inside, and I just love it. Uh, so that would be my uh, first choice. Did you jump the first time the cannon went off when you were the GM of the Jackets? And does it still surprise you? Uh, it doesn't surprise me anymore. I, I actually know the timing of it so well now, especially before the game. I know exactly when it when it fires. After the goals, there's so much noise usually in, in the crowd that you, you don't get so uh, so scared of it. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd been in the building before I even came there, but it did surprise me first. It's very loud and it's uh, it, it's a great thing to have. Every, every opponent hates it, so that's that's the best part. Now, I know this one's not going to be easy, but you got to answer it. You're a GM. You only get one player, Solani or Curry. Who are you taking? <laughs> Two good friends. I'm not going to lose both of, their, both of those friends just, just because I'm putting them in order. So I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll put Tim on the left wing and Yari can play on his right side, normal right <laughs> side, whichever way they go on, and, and go for that glass of uh, California cab with them. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that you went down the other side of the rink and uh, you weren't a coach and you were in management, but let's for a second, say you were a coach. How often would you healthy scratch players? <laughs> if, if needed, I, I think it's, it's the, the biggest tool that coaches have in their toolbox and they need to have it and they need to be able to use it whenever they feel that it's, it, it's important for not just for that player, but for the whole team. So when necessary, I'd use it whenever needed. And uh, Yarmo, after listening to this podcast, I have to say, I'm really enamored with your voice. The Columbus Blue Jackets, if they offered you to be doing voice work to read a Columbus Blue Jackets children's story, would you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. Well, there we go. Uh, Thanks for playing, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Yarmo, thanks so much for coming on. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yarmo Kekalena, what an awesome guest. A uh, good guy to play along with uh, with Rapid Fire. But I'm telling you, honestly, he's like the Finnish Morgan Freeman, man. I was listening to his voice. It's just, it's got good resonation, good deep tones. He's, he's, that guy he's should kinda, be, uh, be voicing yeah, I, over something. Yeah, I get like a Liam Neeson vibe, if that makes any sense. I get like, yeah, I will find you gravelly. and I will. Yeah, I have a very special set of skills. Uh, that's like, that's... <laughs> That's what I hear when I hear Yarmo Kekalainen. But you know what I really like, aside from 
obviously just being an accomplished GM, I think he's, he's no bullshit. Um, and, and I think that comes across when you talk to him, there's no fluff. Uh, it's all substance. And he seems to be to me, at least with how he manages a really disciplined guy. And also he seems to be relatively hands-off in terms of you're the coach. I'm giving you all the leeway to do what you feel is best. And there's been a lot of criticism this year, obviously of John Tortorella and the way that he's handled that team. You hit on the healthy scratches. He's not going to be one of those GMs that's in there meddling and saying, no, you can't do that. It's, it's all been what's best for the team. If it means reading a children's storybook as a voiceover, he's going to do it. If it means allowing John Tortorella to scratch a player, that's a high profile player or bench a guy. That's a high profile acquisition. Go ahead and do it because the success that that team has had as a franchise over the last five years is in lockstep with not just Yarmo's decisions, but his wagon has been hitched to John Tortorella and they've, they've been consistent all the way through I'm just curious to see whether that relationship ends up coming to an end with Torts being in the last year of his deal. Yeah, I, I get the sense, Frank, that you know they're going to go separate paths here, and and the, there doesn't have to be a firing, right? It's just you, you don't necessarily renew the contract, which I know is a polite way of saying it's firing. But you know, it, Tortorella, it's a two way street though, because I think yeah. the the reaction and a lot of people have wondered the way the season has played out. Is Torts heart in it? Does does he does he want to come back? Did he want to come back this year? Did he want to sign an extension in the offseason? I think his feathers were ruffled when that suggestion was made a number of months ago. But I there, there's probably some kind of kernel of truth there. And we'll know by the way this all plays out. Does he resign? Do they go their separate ways? And if they do, does he jump back into the fray or does he take some time off? Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one. And Columbus, you know, uh, Yarmo, who has a real good background in drafting, you, you look at the the Blue Jackets because of the first round picks he had. Like this summer is massive for them at the draft, massive. And he's done well. I mean, look like look at how he's parlayed even those picks later. You know, picking a guy like Dubois, like you were probably at the draft that that year uh, when they picked him. You know, and the surprise that was in that arena. He's able to to then make a trade later on, and it's the early returns have been pretty good, even though the team hasn't won. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things like that evolve over time. But his his draft pick history is unquestioned uh, in terms of way more hits than misses. Well, it's fascinating to see because Patrick Line needs to be qualified at seven point five million. Mm-hmm. I I don't see um, like I, if you're Columbus, you'd probably want to. Now, you know, you want to make a better deal if you can at a lower cap hit for that. And I'm, I'm very interested to see what will happen with, with Line and Kekalainen. I just, I, I think there's a much better chance that Line signs there if John Tortorella isn't the coach. They just haven't seemed to, got, to be on the same page. I, I don't know. I, see, I think they have been on the same page. You okay. may not have agreed with everything, but if they weren't on the same page, then you wouldn't be seeing some of this stuff happening because you would put his foot down and say, you're not doing that. That's yeah. the way no, I read it. No, I meant I meant Line and Tortorella on the same page. Oh, so I agree with you. Line Roslovic. I mean, like uh, go th- Max Domi. Like, it's been unending a string of guys that have have struggled at varying points, and I think that's what's I think partially at least got in the way of their season. This was supposed to be a team that was a surefire 
playoff team in that division. They go from a really tough East, get transplanted to the Central this year, and you're like, oh, that like they've had no problem getting in in the East. Why would it be an issue in the Central? And they're below the Detroit Red Wings now. Like it's been unbelievable how this year has played out. Hey, you know, the Detroit Red Wings actually played really well for quite some time for the last three or four weeks. They got some pieces building. We'll talk about them a little bit later on uh, in a few weeks on the pod. Frank, it's always good. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week. And uh, we will be uh, focusing on a team in the East for a little teaser on uh, Monday show with one of the greatest names in hockey history will join us on the DFO Rundown. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.